Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Sabotage from 1936. The studio, General Film Distributors, the release date was December 2nd, 1936, that was in London. It was released in the United States on January 11th, 1937. The running time, 76 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3 out of 4 stars. His quick little synopsis is elaborately detailed thriller about a woman who suspects that her kindly husband, a movie theater manager, is keeping something from her. Full of intriguing Hitchcock touches, based upon Joseph Conrad's novel Secret Agent. The film was originally titled A Woman Alone for the United States release. Now, I first saw Sabotage at a Alfred Hitchcock film festival at the Stanford Theater in Palo Alto, California. I was probably in my early 20s then, and I had not yet seen his early British films. And this festival was a perfect way to kind of get a crash course into those. And I later picked up a DVD set, which included many of his early films that were restored by film preservationists. Okay, let's get into the main cast. You have Sylvia Sidney, who plays Mrs. Verloc. Now, this was still early in Sidney's career, and her best-known role came the same year as Sabotage with the film Fury, which was directed by Fritz Lang and starred Spencer Tracy. She would become one of the highest-paid actresses by the end of the 1930s. However, her career went through a rut in the 40s. It would be a while before she landed better roles in the 1950s. She found success later in her career as a character actress on TV shows, which she continued through the 1980s. She died in 1999. Oscar Holmica plays Karl Verloc. Born in Austria, Holmica's career started on stage in Austria in the mid-1920s. He later moved to silent pictures and made over 30 films in Germany. However, when the Nazis came into power in the mid-1930s, he moved to Britain and continued his film career. After Sabotage, he was one of the professors in the comedy Ball of Fire, which we did an episode for a few episodes back. He continued his acting career through the mid-1970s and died in 1978. John Loder plays Ted. After serving in the British Army during World War I, Loder went into business with a German friend and then became interested in acting, where he appeared in a variety of German films through the 1920s. He later moved to the United States in 1928 to get into talking pictures. He appeared in a number of films in the U.S., but later returned to British films in 1932. Sabotage and King Solomon's Minds would be his best-known films in the 30s. Of course, the director was Alfred Hitchcock. Now, I covered his early career in the 39 Steps and the Lady Vanishes episodes. After 39 Steps, Hitchcock directed Secret Agent and then Sabotage. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. As Leonard Maltin pointed out, this film is an adaptation of Joseph Conrad's 1907 novel, ironically titled The Secret Agent, because Hitchcock had already made an unrelated film with the same title earlier in the year, so he had to change the title of this film to Sabotage. Joseph Conrad is best known for writing his novel Heart of Darkness, which inspired the film Apocalypse Now, of course directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Now, the name of Mrs. Verloc in the novel, her first name, that is, by Joseph Conrad, was Winnie. Uh, Some other changes from the novel to the screenplay included uh, the removal of various flashbacks and flash-forwards. Also, Hitchcock added his patented humor to various scenes in the film. And there is a credit and a thank you to Walt Disney, but it's not really obvious, nor did Hitchcock and Disney really make a film together with Sabotage. And this is because there was a Disney cartoon used during the cinema scene inside the theater. 
Okay, let's get into the film. So the opening credits begin with an up-close shot of a dictionary page and then zooms in on one word that is sabotage. And the definition is willful destruction of buildings or machinery with the object of alarming a group of persons or inspiring public uneasiness. The film begins with a sudden blackout in London. The cause is determined to be sand, which was placed in a major electrical generator and therefore was deemed sabotage. Nobody in the city seems to be too affected by the power outage, as the vendors delightfully sell matches to the folks walking the streets. A small cinema run by the Verlocks is dealing with a small crisis as the angry customers are demanding refunds for their movie tickets as they didn't get to see the rest of the film they paid for. Sylvia Sidney, who is only called Mrs. Verloc in the film, is running the box office and having to deal with the customers. I think it's a blinking shame robbing the poor people like that. We've got to have our money back. It's an act of providence, like an earthquake or a thunderbolt. Or a baby. Will you kindly not interfere? We've got to have our money back. So sorry I made Mrs. Verloc, but I had a hell of a time trying to eat my egg on toast in the dark. Half of it's in my ear now. They want their money back. We can't afford it. I do wish Mr. Verloc would come. Well, Carl Verloc, that's Oscar Holmica does arrive unnoticed as he sneaks through the entrance of the cinema. He's acting suspiciously and judging by the score music and his facial expression, you might think he was involved with the sabotage of the power generator. Our suspicions are confirmed as we are shown sand residue in the bathroom sink after he washes his hands. Now, this wasn't really meant to be a whodunit film. Hitchcock didn't want to be labeled strictly on those types of films. So we know the villain in the movie, which leads to a different type of tension throughout. There is an apartment above the cinema where the Verlocks live. Carl lies on his bed with a newspaper over his face to make it seem like he's been there the whole time. Carl, when did you get home? I haven't been out. You weren't in 20 minutes ago. I came and called up the stairs. I was asleep. Why are you shining the torch on me? Can't you switch on the light or something? We can't. It's failed. What? The fuse gone down? No, it's everywhere. In the streets and the trams. And the audience downstairs wants their money back. They're making a terrible row about it. Well, give it back. We, we can't possibly afford it. Oh, yes, we can. We must be crazy. It'll clear us right out. You're always saying we don't cover expenses. That's all right. Doesn't pay to antagonize the public. I've got some money coming in. Go on. Well, it's for you to say. If we're going to be generous, let's do it properly. Come on downstairs and make a speech about it. No, no. They're used to you. You do it. All right. I still think you're crazy. Mrs. Verloc goes to give the refund announcement to the crowd and notices her business neighbor, the grocery, is also helping with the crowd management. It's an act of God, I tell you. And what do you call an act of God? I call your face one and you won't get your money back on that. <laughs> now, if a plane were to come along and drop a bomb on you, that would be an unfriendly act within the meaning of the act. But if the juice dries up of its own accord, that's an act of providence, as laid down in the act of William IV, where an act is defined as any activity actuated by actual action. No wonder the blinking lights went down. <laughs> it's a moot point. Ah, moot point them. Make them pay. That's right, Mark. Yes. We want our money back. And how are you going to get it? Apply sanctions? Are you familiar with the details of the covenant? 
If you'd studied Article 257, Paragraph 24, Line 6, Sanction B, it says definitely no. Oh. Yes, you didn't know that, did you? You're all ignorant. Now, if you take my advice, you go off home, because there's nothing doing here. Now, go on, get off. What do you think you're doing? Just lending a hand. I thought I told you not to interfere. I've been delivering a little counterattack. Look, they're on the run. Well, they can come right back. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get your money back. Don't give in now. I'll stand by you. I'd prefer you to go and stand by your apple store. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been speaking to Mr. Verloc. And since you're all regular patrons and good friends, he's going to let you have your money back. There'll be no money back, I tell you. Go on, get off. Please, don't pay any attention to him. I tell you, you're crazy. I had it all fixed. Will you mind your own business? Of all the obstinate people that If you I... don't go away, I'll call the police. Rene, start refunding the patrons their money. Come over here, Pat. Come over here, Pat. The power comes back on before the refunds are issued and the film resumes. Though the Verlocks have no children, Mrs. Verlocks' much younger brother Stevie, played by Desmond Tester, lives with them. The grocery clerk, as it turns out, is really an undercover detective from Scotland Yard named Ted Spencer, played by John Loder. He's been undercover a while monitoring the Verlocks, specifically Carl. All right, we'll put someone onto that. Well, Sergeant, you saw what happened tonight. Yes, sir. Anything your end? I'm not certain, but I could have sworn I saw Verloc come back in the middle of it all. Later, when I challenged him, he said he'd never been out at all. His wife confirmed it. Naturally. She would if she's in it. You better find some way of talking to her. Now, listen, Spencer. The home office has been on, and they're scared something worse than tonight's job may happen. What's the idea, sir? What's the point of all this wrecking? Making trouble at home to take our minds off what's going on abroad. Same as in a crowd. One man treads on your toe. And while you're arguing with him, his pal picks your pocket. Who's behind it? Ah, oh, they're the people that you and I'll never catch. It's the men they employ that we're after. Robert Donat, who was in The 39 Steps, was Hitchcock's first choice to play Ted, but Donat battled chronic asthma, and then John Loder was cast. As it turns out, Hitchcock wasn't impressed with Loder in the Ted role. The next day, Carl is tailed by another detective while he goes around town. He ends up at a zoo where he acts like he just happened to run into a random patron, but it's really a contact for the terrorist organization he's working with. They're funny-looking things. Yes, they're funny-looking things. It'll take three like that to make soup for the Lord Mayor's banquet next Saturday. Think of that. They say it's digestible, though. <laughs> Does a thing with a moustache. I hope you're satisfied with last night's show. It wasn't as easy as it looked. I had to spend money, too. No doubt. A neat job, though. The sort of thing to make people sit up. I think you'll agree I've earned my money. I hope you didn't mind my asking for it in pound notes. You made London laugh. When one sets out to put the fear of death into people, it's not helpful to make them laugh. We're not comedians. It's not my fault if they're such fools. Londoners are not fools. They laugh because they realize what happened last night was laughable. They did right to laugh this time. What do you mean? Mr. Verloc, you will be paid your money when you've earned it. I don't follow. My dear Verloc, 
I once read a sign in Piccadilly Circus calling it the center of the world. I think we'd better pay a visit there in a couple of days' time and leave a small parcel in the cloakroom of the underground station. What sort of a parcel? Oh, I don't know. Let's say a parcel of fireworks. I couldn't do it. I'm not going to be connected with anything that means loss of life. You'll have to get somebody else. I won't touch it. Very well then, Mr. Verloc. If you think you're so well off that... You know I'm not. You know my position. All right then. You'll be paid your money when... In any case, if you're so fussy about doing it yourself, surely you have some kind friends who would help you? No, don't be silly. Go and see this man. He's a very nice old gentleman. He makes lovely fireworks. I'll try and see him. And don't forget the date. Saturday next. Lord Mayor's show day. Lots of you want me to come and report? Thanks, no. If your report itself is loud enough, it won't be necessary. Which is the way out, please? Thank you. In the meantime, Ted is also following Mrs. Verloc and Stevie. He decides to act like he runs into them at a park and invites them to lunch and they accept. This is sort of a sneaky way to find out a bit more about the Verlocs. When did you come over from America? About a year ago. Business wasn't too good over there. That's funny. People used to go to the States because business wasn't too good over here. How things working out now? Not too good, huh? Not terribly. Thought I hadn't noticed you turning people away. It's hard to make a one-man business pay these days, unless you're on a sideline. Has Mr. Burlock a sideline? No, but we're quite satisfied with things as they are. Just one happy little family. Just one happy little family. Mr. Verloc's very kind to Stevie. And that means a lot to Stevie's sister. It means everything. Now, here we are. Good morning, sir. No fat for you, as usual. You see, I don't forget. Haven't seen you for a long time. Do I look as though I don't like fat? What's the big idea? What idea? First, pretending never to have been here before. Second, affording to come here on your salary. That's what everyone would like to know. There's a mystery about me. And come to think of it, there's a mystery about most people. Haven't you got some terrible secret? Never mind about that. What goes on after hours in that cinema of yours? Deeds of darkness. Does your husband go on mysterious journeys? He does, wearing false whiskers. Aha, that means there's another woman in his life. <laughs> What's the joke? If you only knew him. He's the quietest, most harmless, home-loving person. Ted is getting the impression that Mrs. Verloc has no idea about Carl's involvement with the terrorist group. And if she does, well, she's a very good poker player. Well, what luck with Mrs. Verloc? She knows nothing, sir. Nothing at all. What makes you think so? She has a straight answer to everything besides her manner. Pretty woman? What's that got to do with it, sir? Oh, I know. I'm too tender-hearted myself, especially where women are concerned. What about Verloc? I'm not certain, but if he is mixed up in this, he's not giving himself away. I'm not so sure about that. Your assistant, uh, what's Hollingshead. Hollingshead was signaled by you this morning to follow this man. Yes, sir. Well, uh, just reach me that paper, will you? This is his report. Telephone from a call box ten minutes ago. 
Verloc went to the zoo aquarium, evidently by appointment, and met a certain foreign individual who handed him a paper. He then proceeded to R65 Liverpool Road, Islington, which is a bird shop. I'm waiting for him to come out and we'll report again later on. Islington? Exactly. Doesn't mean much to me either. Carl meets with another contact who runs a pet shop. In typical Hitchcock fashion, there is humor always mixed with the dark themes. Prior to the meeting with Carl, the pet shop owner is assisting a customer who claims the bird she bought will not sing. The shop owner whistles, to which a number of birds in the shop sing, but we're not sure if it's the actual bird the woman bought. He claims it is, and sends her on her way. The pet shop owner is a homemade bomb maker who mixes household items together to create explosives. The next day, Carl gets a few visitors to the theater. Ted notices them and acts like he's going to take in a film, but he's really monitoring the men. Ted runs into Stevie, who shows him the area behind the movie screen, which leads to a window where you can see their apartment. Ted decides to boost himself up to listen in on the conversation in the apartment. However, he gets spotted by the group when his hand is noticed in the window. He gets pulled in by one of the men. Initially, Stevie innocently covers for Ted, saying he was just showing him around the place. But one of the men recognizes Ted. What? I know him. What were you doing up there? Who is he? Well, he's from the filter next door. I know him all right, but... What happened? I was showing Ted the back of the screen with the loudspeakers. Wasn't that all right? I hope I didn't hurt you. You never know, you know. Well, Mr. Bullock, no harm done, I hope. I'm sure you're getting back to the shade of the old apple tree. Sorry. <laughs> Good night, all. Good night. That is Detective Sergeant Spencer of Scotland Yard. But who's he after? They're having us on. But what are we going to do about it? But he's connected with the fruit store next door, I tell you. Spencer got me my last stretch, the one I'm unlicensed from now. What are we going to do about it? One thing. This job is off. Out. Finished. We go quick from here and scatter. And keep scattered. And if he comes here again, tell him you don't know where we live. Say we've gone abroad. Anything you like. Carl then goes to his wife in a panic. Yesterday, it seems since when you had lunch with that fellow. With Ted, you mean? I remember what he said to you. Did you ask him any questions about yourself? About me? None that I can think of. Why? Because he's a detective from Scotland Yard. That's why. Spying on us. On me. Through you. But why should he? What is there to find out? I'm all right. It must be one of those fellows who came here tonight. But you said he was spying on you. No, not on me. This place, I meant. But if he has anything against anybody, why didn't he come straight to you? You'd help him. I'll talk to Mr. Detective Ted. No, no, uh, I'll speak to him myself. I've been clean all day. Hello, Governor. Where's Ted? He's gone. Has he gone to Scotland Yard? Sorry, Mr. Verloc. Of course, I didn't like the idea, but I couldn't refuse. See, it was official. But why? What's wrong? Did they say what it was about? Not so far as I know. You must have been showing some funny sort of films, I dare say. You know, perhaps a bit too hot. After talking to the grocery owner, Carl's given a letter that was sent to him by his contacts, which reads, London must not laugh on Sunday. On Saturday, which is the next day, Carl receives a birdcage from the pet shop. Inside the bottom of the cage is a box with a note that reads, Don't forget that birds will sing at 145. 
Mrs. Verloc also gets a visit from Ted. There was no one on the door. Forgive me for busting in like this. We're getting used to it. I'm afraid we've nothing showing at this early hour. I'm sorry, Mrs. Verloc, but I'm here on business. Same business as last night. Mrs. Verloc, there's nothing personal in all this. Is it there? You had us fooled, all right. Trying to make Stevie and me think you were a friend. Do you think I enjoyed it? Then why did... Listen, I asked to be taken off this job this morning. You can guess why. But it's not as easy as that. And my job you have to do is you're told. Well, what have you been told? It was about the men who came here last night. My husband had nothing to do with it. You better realize that. They came here on business about the cinema. That's just it. You've no idea what their business was. Whatever it was, I'm sure my husband hasn't done anything wrong. I hope you're right. Why do you say it like that? Because we believe there's something going on here connected with sabotage. Sabotage? That blackout the other night, you remember? Well, my husband hasn't anything to do with sabotage. He told me that night he'd been in all the evening. That wasn't true. I saw him come back with my own eyes. I don't believe it. You're making things very difficult for me. I'm afraid I've got to ask you a lot of questions. How about those men? I've told you before, he's the most harmless person in the whole world. He wouldn't do anything to... Now, the sudden cut to the audio is because the scene changes to Carl about to leave with the package and sees his wife talking to Ted in the theater. He then goes back to his apartment and notices the theater is being watched by detectives when he looks out the window. Carl decides to call an audible and has Stevie deliver the package, which we can now assume is filled with explosives. He tells Stevie that the package is a film canister and needs to be delivered to a developing room which is near a train station. He tells Stevie the film canister has projector parts that need to be repaired. While Stevie is unsuspectingly delivering a bomb, Ted questions Carl. This is where the brilliance of Hitchcock and his use of tension and suspense is unrivaled. During the interrogation of Carl, we follow Stevie on his journey with the bomb. And of course, Stevie, like a typical kid, doesn't go straight to his destination. But he gets distracted by various things going on in the city. However, he keeps looking at the clock because he was told to deliver the package by a certain time. And it's at this point, I can't spoil what happens. Does the bomb actually go off? Is Stevie caught? Is Carl caught? The final 30 minutes are incredibly thrilling and a terrific example of Hitchcock's early work. As the audience knows what's in the package the entire time, while Stevie walks around town without a care in the world. Alright, some fun facts. The first name of Carl Verloc, played by Oscar Holmica, was changed from Adolf to Carl to avoid any Nazi connections. Now, Alfred Hitchcock makes a cameo appearance. He can be seen at the around the nine-minute mark, just after the lights come back on in front of the movie theater. He is looking up towards the sky as he crosses in front of the crowd. All right, we do have a special guest, and that is Samantha, who, of course, loves Hitchcock films and classic films. I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember if she saw this one or not. I don't believe she had, but we'll find out soon. And I will warn you, I do believe there's spoilers. Uh, so if you haven't seen this movie before and you do want to see it, it's a quick watch. It's under 80 minutes. Watch it first and then come back and listen to Samantha's take on it. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Samantha. Welcome back. Hi, thank you. Sure. And so today we're going to talk about um, a Hitchcock film. And we know that you like Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, and we're going to talk about Sabotage, uh, not Saboteur, which is also a Hitchcock movie. <laughs> uh, Sabotage from 1936. And I don't know if I asked you when we talked about The Lady Vanishes, but do you prefer his early British or his more um, more popular, like kind of uh, 
you know, American version type movies. I I think just based off of how many I've seen, I definitely I like the later ones. I like they they're more um what's the word a little more dramatic and exciting. Sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Bigger productions. Mm-hmm. But the new the older ones are are good too. And they all take place around, I mean, it just happens to be the era he, era he was directing in, but the, you know, World War II, or at least the going into World War II. And yeah. that's when this takes place, which definitely factors into the plot. Uh, had you seen this before? So I thought I had, and the, the beginning does seem vaguely familiar to me, but um, as I watched it, it didn't seem... Um, super familiar. So I don't know. I, I feel like I could have watched it way back when I was in school. Mm. Um, but it's definitely, it was like watching it with fresh eyes. <laughs> so, yeah. Which is always good. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> and the other good thing, and I, this might be one of Hitchcock's shortest films. It's, it's, well, I wouldn't say barely, but it's, it's only like 70, 75 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Really quick. Super short. I was really surprised by the length. So, but it moved, it moved fast. Yeah, it would have to. <laughs> so, um, okay. So we'll get right into it. Um, I, I know you kind of like history and World War II history. How did you feel um, about this plot? And there really wasn't a lot to really untangle. It was kind of, it was fairly straightforward. Yeah. And I was having to second guess myself because they never mention who these bad guys are. Right. Um, and really what their intent is. So, yeah, you kind of have to assume, given the, the setting, that it's some sort of, you know, foreign European power or, I don't know, political group or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, because I as I watched it and watched it, I was like, oh, maybe there'll be a reveal. Maybe they'll explain it more. Uh, but, no, there was just it was just a general <laughs> kind of terrorist <laughs> yeah exactly and so actually and that's kind of refreshing sometimes i think these plots get way too convoluted and then this one it was almost like okay well it's just going to be straightforward oh yeah oh that's true because i feel like a lot of a lot of the newer movies and i won't nothing i can't mention anything like specific but i feel like they try to build these very elaborate explanations and causes um, yeah, and it was kind of refreshing just to watch something, and it was like, okay, they're planning something. Better watch out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ends. <laughs> so, so I mean, without giving anything away, um, because I don't think a lot of people have, have probably seen this, uh, were you shocked by how everything kind of developed? Because I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, they can't do this, and and then they do. So, yeah, 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 I kind of let out a a gasp a couple of times yeah certainly yeah as you as you were saying I I thought okay they'll you know they'll stop it Mm -hmm. there will be some sort of maybe the it won't work what they're trying to do right but it it goes through and yeah I was shocked um and even more so I think how how it wrapped up. Yeah. I don't want to like explain, sure. Explain the ending, but there was just a series of events that took place. And I, I was 
entertained. <laughs> well, yeah, it's almost like there's two kind of you know shock endings. Like yes. uh, you, you have you know one that is probably the most actually the the one that's super shocking is just is, is the one that um, you know I think most people remember about this film. But then the ending ending is what really kind of is a, is a good twist that I think is 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 yeah. what people forget about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I guess the climax is yeah. the whole plot is leading up to eventually. That yeah, that was the first shocker, and I thought maybe it'll you know die down. Things will you know the people will get caught because we do have our undercover detective or police officer right involved. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had more. Um, more movement with the bad guys and the the wife. Yeah. Which I kind of liked how she had that, um, I guess uh, she was given more of a role. Um, at the beginning, she kind of just seemed like a, a side character. Right. And they were trying to get information from her. Um, but yeah, she ended up being kind of like the primary character character of the movie in a way yeah um, absolutely and i was gonna ask you doing yeah yeah i was gonna ask you about how did you feel about the main characters you know we, we can start with uh sylvia sydney yeah so she well it took me a second to realize she was american right <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting um how they they were ended up in london um but i perhaps it was all because of this crime connection yeah Um, so i liked i liked her character um and how she so you know she got right involved in the middle of things without knowing it yeah i felt bad for her (laughs) (laughs) to just the what everything that ended up happening out of her control really so. Yeah, exactly. And then I thought that the her husband, who, who I guess you could say he played the villain, I thought he was kind of perfect. He kind of had the, those that sinister look to him. Oh yeah. Oh, he was a little scary. Yeah. Um, and I also would love to know how they ended up together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like that, a good backstory. But again, this is such a quick movie they couldn't do that. Yeah, there was no yeah no explanations for anything. You were just given some general foreign sounding man. Mm-hmm. Married to this woman, her brother's in the picture for some reason. Yeah. And they have a, a cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's really no context, but I guess that was all just, you know, like side context for the the plot, which is just this kind of thriller mm-hmm. tech, yeah. like storyline. So really interesting about Oscar uh, Homolka, who played um, Carl, her, her husband. He, he, so you remember Ball of Fire, which we talked about. He was one of the professors. And I, oh. which one he, I don't know if it was, he was into math or one of them, but yeah, it's, it's funny to see him. I, I totally recognized him in Ball of Fire from being in Sabotage. Oh, I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so is there anything you would have changed in this movie? Well, it was it was definitely short. Mm-hmm. I think it could have the set like the final third, I think could have they they could have done a little more there and still retained the suspense. But at the same time it was a little refreshing to have it wrap up the way it did. Yeah. The yeah, the the melodramatic side uh, romance plot 
was a little silly. <laughs> yeah, a little. For- yeah, that seemed forced. Yeah, <laughs> it was forced, and of course, I think it it had to be established for the movie to end potentially in a certain way. Um, but yeah, that was interesting because I, I I guess she was unhappy in her marriage. Yeah, there. Yeah, it was odd. Odd the. The combination of characters, I think, was the the weirdest thing. But it was still entertaining, though, if you didn't think too much about it. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what we're doing here is thinking too much about it because that's, <laughs> that's what we do. But, um, yeah, I thought John Loder, who played Ted, was kind of he, the, the British agent. He was kind of just kind of a dud. Um, <laughs> he didn't do much for me. I did like Stevie, though. I thought Stevie, the, the little the boy, was a good character. Yeah, and he was good. And it. I think it was important to have him be a bit of a to kind of stick with you it made parts of the movie more uh how should i say (laughs) a little more interesting yeah heartfelt Um, i guess you care about him yeah yeah um yeah the police officer detective i assume he had been in the picture for a while Mm -hmm. um watching over the whole scene yeah, and he didn't like. What did he really accomplish? Not too much. He no. was bad at spying, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's kind of a failure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, he does come into play at the very end, uh, so he is necessary. But yeah. Whether or not, yeah, he's uh, yeah. I, he was just kind of a, a, a I wouldn't say a nothing character. He's just he he was there, you know. He was there. He served as a like a plot point. Yeah. To get the action going and. Have it work. Flat. If this was remade, you think they would add it probably about 20 minutes or 30 minutes and, and probably some backstory about the the original couple. Oh, yeah. I think, well, I think if it was made today, you could slap on another hour. Yeah, which you, would be too much, actually. <laughs> you could have the whole backstory and a little more of the, the side romance. Sure. And it would be a much more um, over-the-top ending. Mm-hmm. But then I think we still, the charm of these, I think, early Hitchcock movies is the the focus on the thrill and yeah. the suspense. Like, that's what they were created for. Um, and that's really kind of just the object. And I think adding anything would have taken that away a bit. Yeah, I think it definitely would have diluted it. And and regardless of, of how you feel about this film, the suspense is great in this because you really don't know what's going to happen and and you're you're you are very tense throughout um especially a couple scenes oh yeah and without saying much again mm-hmm. the I, the suspense is really tied to time yes and the movie does a really great job of showing time progressing and the clock ticking and that made me really anxious mm-hmm. so it did a fabulous job there um and going through the city and showing how, yeah, building, building, building up the suspense during the the climax was really great. Um, and I don't usually get totally anxious in a lot <laughs> of movies, but I did get genuinely anxious. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that, that's interesting that, that it played out like that. So you would definitely, you, you would recommend this? Yeah, I would. I would. It's a fun early Hitchcock movie and you can totally see how um, some of his themes are starting to grow and it's 
similar to his later stuff in certain ways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, as always, thank you so much, Samantha. Thank you. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.